0: MMA Fancast. Here are your hosts, Jim Mooney and Luke Creason. What's up, what's up, what's up? We are back. We are back for another podcast. This episode is going to be a special one. We're going to focus on 247 Fighting Championships again. It's uh, the inaugural event. We've been talking a lot about it um, the first few episodes. Uh, my name is Jim Mooney, my podcast partner is Luke Payson. Luke, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing very well. Yeah, we're really excited to have our focus right now be on 247 Fighting Championship. They have an inaugural um, event coming up April 6th at the Prince Cape Arena. And, Jim, I'm really excited because we've been able to talk to, I think this is this will be our fourth fighter that's going to be fighting on that card April 6th. We've already covered Joey Muniz, uh, Kamal Worthy. We just talked to Ethan Goss. And now we have Brett the Showtime or Showtime Showfield coming, calling in for us. I'm really excited to have him on the program. He's nine and seven as a pro and coming back after a three year layoff. I'm really excited to have him on the show. Brett, are you there?
2: Hey guys, yeah, I'm here. How you guys doing?
1: Great, welcome to the show, buddy. Happy to, happy to hear your voice and excited to, uh, to get to these questions and, and see what's going on with you.
2: For sure, guys, I'm happy to be on air with you guys.
0: So did uh, did we pronounce your name correct? Is it Scho- Schoenfeld? It's, uh, Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld. Okay. Why well, screw that? Up. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Luke, uh, <laughs> we we both take turns on uh, screwing up names in each podcast. Yes. There you go. So um, right off the bat, I'm just curious. You know, we had uh, uh, one of the fighters that we interviewed. His nickname is the Death Star, and we wanted to get some. Mm -hmm. a hindsight into how he got that. How did you get the name Showtime?
2: Well, guys, uh, Showtime kind of – it followed me since junior high school. See, I wrestled uh, throughout elementary, junior high, high school, college, and whatnot. And um, my head coach, what was it, Dave Frazier at the time, back in junior high, seventh grade, you know, he just kind of gave me the nickname Show. And, uh, you know, show stuck with me the entire time clear up until my senior year in high school. And, um, you know, I started fighting in 2000, I graduated 2007, had my first fight in 2009 mm. and my first fight going out there, you know, it doesn't sound right. If you say Brett show, showing felt, you know, mm. it's like, man, you know, I've been called show my entire life. Um, you know, nicknamed my entire life. So. How the hell do we bring, sorry, how do we bring this together here? And, um, you know, I, I just put Showtime together, you know, I, I stuck with show since everybody already knew me by show and put time at the end of it. And then, you know, by adding time, a show, got a lot of energy there, you know? Yeah. And uh, One good thing with, with the nickname Showtime, I don't know if uh, any of you guys actually have seen me fight in my past when I was really active, but, uh, you know, one thing I can say about myself and my brand, I bring a show every time. I really do. So, what well, well, I am like,
1: just going to ask you that that it's having the nickname Showtime is not only great because it relates back to the nickname you've always had since middle school. It's also like you just called it your brand. It's something that you you do. I looked at your at your uh, fight record, and it looks like that you have had multiple wins by submission um, and a couple by knockout, a couple by decision. Um, as showtime, you're going in there to put on a show. Do you look for a certain style or are you would take it as it comes? What's your, what's your style to be showtime?
2: Uh, my style is kind of like a seek and destroy type fighter. You okay. know, like they, uh, anybody that knows me, like the World Series of Fighting, the former World Series of Fighting, uh, the former gladiators of the cage, you know, um, even going back to the local uh, level with complete devastation, you know? Sure. Um, and I, that's, uh, Ryan Middleton bought the cage from um, complete devastation. That's the cage we'll be actually fighting in. But um,
1: So it will be like coming home for you a little bit. You'll be fighting the same cage.
2: Uh yeah, I haven't fought in that cage in man, I don't know six years. So yeah, it's yeah. a little taste at home. But uh, yeah, you know, um, my style it, it, it's 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 very uh, a lot of pressure. You know, every fight I've ever had, I'm always moving forward. One thing that um, you can ask any of the guys uh from Gladiators of the Cage, you know. Uh, I'm tailor-made for this industry. My mentality, my 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 pain tolerance, my threshold with just what I'm willing to do. Uh, like I said, if you guys haven't checked any of my fights out in the past, you can even see some of my stuff on YouTube. You can get me four, five, six times times in the face. I keep coming at you. And, and actually, um, a really good example with this, you know, if you guys check out the the YouTube video, I fought Andrew Osborne. I want to say this is 2015, but 52 seconds in the first round, I ended up uh, completely tearing three different ligaments in my left knee and one partial tear. 52 seconds in the first round, I fought him for 15 minutes, bummed out like that. And, I mean, like, he was hitting me with some crucial, significant knees to the chin. Wow. Catching me right in the face. I couldn't really defend myself for what, like I could sprawl. I couldn't be aggressive with them. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that my mentality and my pain tolerance, that that's what carried me through that fight. And ultimately ended up beating Andrew Osborne.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, not only is it a great story to show your willingness to tough it out, like you said, your mentality, but also to be able to win a fight where you could have easily just basically gotten out of there. So that's a, that's a great attitude to have. Oh, uh, you're coming back after about a three year layoff. Um, if we can kind of get your mindset, why come back now? What makes now the right time to come back into the MMA world?
2: Man, honestly, I don't think any time is the right time to come back. Uh, you know guys, I left I left the MMA industry for a particular reason because the investment that I put into it and I mean, I've met a lot of fighters, gentlemen. I've met a lot of fighters, I've trained in a lot of gyms been throughout the country doing this everywhere. The investment I put into it, the training time, the money, the hours time spent. For what I put into it, I did not get in return. And, you know, Mm -hmm. unless you're a Conor McGregor or a Diaz brother, you will never get that return. I don't care what kind of talent you have. It comes down to being that top 1% up the UFC or whatever that can fill the seats or whatnot, that build your character. And um, so, yeah, you know, I ended up deciding that I wanted to make a different investment or go a different route in my life. And I kind of stepped away from the industry to pursue school for the fourth time, to pursue college Mm. for the fourth time. And actually, guys, I'm getting ready. I got one more semester to go for my undergrad in in law, and I'm going to be looking at law school in 2020. So you guys asked me, why now come back? You know, uh, is this time to come back? To be honest with you, it's not. You know, I tried my last two fights I fought. I fought Micah Terrell and uh, Eric the Atomic Adder, right? They were my last two fights. Both of those fights were not only coming back off of a 14-month layover because of my last surgery, but both of those fights I come back into as well as being uh, in college full-time. Both of them fights I trained less than a month for. Yes, Mm -hmm. I happened to pull out a win with Eric Adder. Micah Terrell happened to get the better hand of me um, my last fight. Dude. There's no, this is, there's no great time to come back into this. But what I can yeah. tell you is that I am a fighter through and through. This is who I am. And, and and where I've been with the industry, the people I've met, the technique I've learned. I mean, I know where I'm going to be the next five years, dude. Law school next year. I know where yeah. i So why not now? Whether I'm going full board with it or not, or if I'm just going out there just to have fun with it at this point, because I think that's what I'm looking at. It's just, it's entertainment and a way to stay connected right now with the industry. So why not, dude?
0: So you touched on, I just briefly touched on um, like your progression into MMA and that was starting out with, uh, with wrestling. As you actually got into it um, through the amateur ranks and the pro ranks, did you take on any other martial arts or did you strictly go with, with the wrestling background and, adding in something like uh, some boxing or Muay Thai.
2: Right now I'm at like 13, no, 14 different disciplines, I believe, that I might have put my foot in the door with. I started off as a child. I started off doing Taekwondo, you know, Taekwondo, and then I went into wrestling. So that was my my basis. Um, after wrestling came out and I got into this woman MMA stuff, obviously um, I started learning submission wrestling. Because um, the, the first people I started fighting under was Team Friction with Eric and Nick Frick. Those guys were collegiate wrestlers. Eric Frick, state winner, Olympian wrestler and whatnot. You know, They didn't really know much jiu-jitsu, so it was submission wrestling. But yeah, now I started uh, 2007, my senior year in high school, is when I started doing jiu-jitsu. Very first started doing jiu-jitsu. I actually started doing that as a secondary workout uh, because I wanted to go somewhere with wrestling my high school year. Uh, My senior year in high school, you know, but yeah, no, I ventured off and, you know, I did some boxing, uh, which a lot of my boxing skills, I worked on them with not only Mike Dokes out of Tactical Combat Academy, but I got a good jump on my boxing, excuse me, with Ray Steinbiss out in Gilbert, Arizona, when I was fighting for Power MMA and fitness. I'm sure you guys are familiar uh, Ryan Bader, CB Dahl, and Aaron Simpson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's who I actually started. That, that's who I had my pro debut under. I fought for them guys for uh, – I was with them guys for two years. But yeah, I ventured out into Muay Thai, Ray's wife. I can't think of her name right now, but she was a nasty Southpaw Muay Thai fighter. She's won multiple belts and whatnot. That's who I learned my traditional Muay Thai from. And then we moved into uh, – Let me just hit a couple of them, you know, like sambo karate. You know, you got your judo transitions into Greco-Roman wrestling, Filipino knife collie, self-defense, weapons training, kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, just you name it. Like, there's a lot of different forms I've went into. Now, the self-defense side of things with my taekwondo, the Filipino... Knife Collie and all that, like, I'm not as involved anymore. Like, you know, that was a lot when I was younger. I I guess if you guys want an answer what I'm doing now, now it's just kind of geared toward boxing, wrestling, and, and, and Muay Thai. I like Muay Thai a lot. It was actually, as a wrestler, Muay Thai was my favorite thing to learn.
1: That's a great answer, obviously. Um, I don't think either of us knew that you had so many different forms of martial arts. We've been talking a lot on this podcast about how MMA as a sport is its own sport that brings in and melt. It's a melting pot of all anything that works, right? So if you come from a combat sambo or if you use Filipino knife fighting without obviously the knives and you create a move like Wonderboy Thompson that uses some kicks that aren't usually seen, In MMA, it's kind of a creative thing. When you stepped away to do your other stuff, were you still staying active? Or had you also taken a break? Because you mentioned the hours and the commitment and the money and the training. Had you also reduced or stopped your training during that
2: time as well? Like I was telling you guys, my last two fights when I fought Micah Terrell and Eric Adder, I was training two days a week for both of them fights. I don't know. I trained for about five weeks for Eric Adard at two days a week. And Mike at Terrell, I literally trained two and a half weeks, I think four days both weeks, and went in there and fought them. Since the Terrell fight, I realized, and like, I only took that fight because there's a lot of pressure, not only from my one coach, Rob McGraw. A lot of other people wanted to see a fight for a while. I knew it wasn't smart for me simply because I wasn't training like that. But since that fight, dude, I stepped away from it completely. Like, completely, completely cold turkey for at least two years straight. And I just started training out of nowhere uh, January 10th of this year. Like, I just, like, you know what? One thing I've realized is I got so much uh, uh, knowledge with with this industry, so much technique that I've learned throughout the time. And, um, you know, there there were a couple times towards when I was fighting last where I was training people and stuff. For instance, you got Sheldon Nye off. Uh, Sheldon game time Nye off. He uh, he's coming out of Maryland now. But you know, I I focus my time more on training people while I was in school rather than training myself. So, literally, like right now, as as we speak, started training January tenth, two thousand nineteen. As each week goes by, I'm starting to pick up a little bit more uh, time at the gym. I'm doing two days here and there, trying to do what I can. But you know, honestly, today I I, I haven't left my freaking bedroom. I've been sitting here doing homework all day. So,
0: so I I saw that it looked like your. Uh, so this is a two-part question. One is, um, it looks like you fought uh, at a mix of weights: one fifty-five, one sixty-five, one seventy. So where is uh is there a Um, A set weight is this going to be a catch weight for your opponent? Because I did see I believe that your original opponent was cancelled for some reason. Have you gotten any word on a new opponent Um, and what the weight is uh, that you're going to be fighting at?
2: When Ryan and I first talked I kind of told him, I'm like you know, I know I have a resume with this industry. Obviously, I fought a good bit of people, uh, but I told them like, dude, you know, I'm just getting back into this. Uh, I'm looking for, for something to kind of, what I'm looking for is something to kind of get my mentality back on MMA, you know, because like I'm training right now, but I'm not very active with uh, the actual, I'm not very active with the industry. So we, we were looking at a lot of guys and he sent me a name on this one guy, Ryan McIntosh. And when I checked him out, McIntosh, you know, he might not have the best record. He was, uh, I think when I when I looked at his stats, he was 15 and 29 as a pro. You know, obviously on paper, it goes to show that he, he's not the greatest fighter out there. But what I was looking at is this guy's fighting five, six times a year. I mean, I'm coming off the couch after almost three and a half year layoff, you know. Uh, this guy's fighting 5 6 times a year i think that was to, to me i thought that was a great fight to come back into hey can i compete with people this active right now
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know like what can i do with people of that caliber where where do i currently sit at with my with my athleticism i guess mm-hmm. you know i don't know where i sit at i don't know I haven't even watched UFC in like two years. Like, I want cool turkey from this hard, guys. I really did. This frying guy, he ended up taking a last-minute fight this past weekend, you know, and and now he don't want to make the fight. So we're back to looking at people again, and then they brought forth this uh, Bobby Emmons. And, you know, the guy's a little bit older. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and black belt stuff's not weight. I don't care what belt you are. I've been doing jiu-jitsu since 2007. Uh, G, you know, G, I told you guys that, and I'm still just the blue belt, but I roll with black belts all the time. You know, the black belt's not what gets me. But like I was asking Ryan, I was Bobby Emmons. I'm like, how active is he? How much is he training? You know, like, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I can't go in the cage tomorrow and beat a top five contender. But I'm not training to be a top five contender right now. You know, all I'm looking for right now, my, my fight back into the industry, I'm looking to see to myself. If this is something that I really want to mess with while I'm going into law school or not, you know, like I'm, I'm getting ready to turn 30. I know what I'm capable of, but am I capable of keeping up with these new 19, 20, 21 year olds that are just coming up in the industry? Is that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll tell you what, I just trained down at Bauer house last weekend, new guy up and coming. I can't think of his last name. I met him. His name's Brett. One in zero as a pro at 155 pounds guy's 22 years old and and his speed his burst his his agility i'm just like i used to be like that like seven years ago (laughs) you know so and that's the thing you know but at the end of the day i don't really care who i fight because it is a fight it it, you know it's martial arts it's about going out there and showing skill i'm just looking for something that's kind of fair with what i'm willing to put into the industry right now if that makes sense yeah let's Let's say I go in there and I find a guy that's, you know, around 500. I go in there. We make it to the second round. I beat the guy. You know, who's to say that that right there mentally is not going to change my whole output on this to where I'm going to start training five, six days a week and, you know, make another shot with this while I'm in law school. You know, like, and that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for out of this fight to see if I'm going to stick it out or or if I'm not. Besides, I, I, I can't lie to you guys. I kind of miss being in the spotlight. You know, I don't know if you guys have had that feeling or sensation yet but when you walk out in the center of a cage and you see a couple thousand people out there cheering your name like it's a rush
0: I get that every day coming home to my wife and kids
1: (laughs) sure you do sure you do I bet they call you showtime as well that was a great answer Brett you know I think one of the things that's so cool about the way you answered that is that you want to fight but you're undecided about how long, like what your future is. And I think it's completely okay to use this fight coming up April 6th as a way to learn more about yourself. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional mental health counselor. I have a license in Pennsylvania. And as a counselor, one of the things is it's self-discovering. What you basically just said is you want to discover about yourself. You know you're tough, you know you have the talent, you've been training for a while, you have the experience, but you want to see where you are now. And I think that's a, that's a fair and honest answer. And as far as you go into law school, neither Jim and I have been able to respond to it, but that's incredible to know what you want to do to be working, to finishing up your bachelor's um, and kind of having a, a game plan for the future. That's more important than whether or not you're in a cage is it, a pretty good thing. And then obviously you start talking about the excitement, the rush. It is, it is a great opportunity for you to kind of see, do I want to keep doing this? And obviously it's a, it will be shouting showtime, when you come into the cage. So we'll give you that rush you're looking for. How about that? Hey, so. I'm looking
2: forward to that, you know, and, um, the thing is the reason why I chose to go uh, back to school again and whatnot and even ch- choose the route of law. Like my main focus when I go into law school, guys, I'm going to be focusing on entertainment law, contract law, and business law. My, I see a vision with this. Like I told you guys, I've been training martial arts pretty much my whole life, starting with Taekwondo, wrestling. I am a fighter through and through. This is who I am. This is what I know how to do. However, coming from the fighter's point of view, being the actual fighter, mixed martial arts, unless you are a Conor McGregor or a Diaz brother, mixed martial arts is a terrible investment. I'm not. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I don't think I'm better than you guys. I don't. I don't think I'm some God's gift of, I don't even know. But I'm smart enough to understand that a lot of the people that go in the martial arts industry are people that come from criminal backgrounds, people that don't have an education, or that's all they know. I mean, I could be a mix-up of all three of them, or, you know, I mean, I was always really smart growing up in school, honors classes and stuff. I just, I was mentally, always mentally tough. That, that's why I stuck this out. But my vision with this whole law school thing, guys, You know, I go and do my three years of law school. I come out, I'm going to start going after the Johns Jones, the Ryan Bader, the the Mighty Mouse. I'm going to be going after them. Why? Because now I'm a lawyer. I can represent them. When it comes to their contract negotiations between them and the UFC, that's where I'm going to step in and say, oh, no, my guy's worth this. You know, I'm going to sit there and look at Mighty Mouse. I go, okay, look, you're going to go in here and fight such and such. I'm going to take 20% of your purse. Dude, I didn't even have to get my face pounded in. I didn't have to do any kind of hard work, no labor. I'm still connected to the industry, and here I am making that UFC. Here I am making the money that I feel like I deserve for the amount of investment I put into.
0: So that is a discussion more in detail on uh, you know a couple episodes coming up. But I um, mean, Luke and I had touched base on this just briefly uh, a few episodes ago uh, about the unionizing for the fighters. I don't know how broad that would be because you, you would have to actually set it up as a union for Bellator. They would have their own, you know, union shop for UFC. Um, if one championship would go that route, the unions would be. Specific to each organization, I've, I feel like there is a need, or at least some fight, of representation to make the uh, the playing field more level, so to speak. Because when you look at, take the NFL for example, those contracts that the players sign at any given point in time, the uh, the team can just rip up that contract. That's not something that the UFC is. I don't think they're headed anytime soon, but I, I do think that there is a need for fighter representation and better management on their end to um, to level that playing field so that all fighters are getting fair compensation.
1: Well, that yes, is yeah, what, I
0: completely
2: agree with you on
0: that.
1: It's a cool thing to, to be able to root for you, not only as a fighter come April 6th, but also knowing that you want to go get your law degree and then and stay around the business, whether it's, I'm also thinking not just representing the fighters, but potentially like Jim was just saying, potentially the the union or the, there's been a couple class action lawsuits against the UFC. I know currently uh, Mark Hunt has at least one lawsuit going. So I'm just wondering with your legal and fighting background, you're right. Not only could you represent somebody as far as getting them fights and getting them paid, but you could also represent somebody like Mark Hunt which really bothers me that the UFC was 100% aware that Brock Lesnar had tested positively for banned substance and hid that from him and let the fight happen, which is a clear breach of contract, and, um, and Mark Hunt can't get anything back from it. So I, so I do agree with you. I think going into the future, you being a, a lawyer who understands the game, who's been there, that gives you credibility. And there's a lot that can be done in the next several years or maybe a decade, but not just the UFC but the sport in general. So. Because Major League Baseball, they didn't have a union right away. The the UFC is 25 years old. MMA is about that old, roughly speaking. And so it's, I think it takes time to get the athletes to that level, whether it be Major League Baseball, whether it be NFL or any of those, or now uh, MMA. Uh, I think it's time, though, Jim, for us to switch gears to our in-the-pit question. We'll let you know, Brett, what's going on. We're going to ask you four questions. Uh, Jim's going to ask you two. I'm going to ask you two. It's they're just, it's a quick little trivia game we use to wrap up the podcast to all of our, to all of our guests. And uh, we are based in the Pittsburgh area, so we like to ask Pittsburgh-based questions and to kind of see where your trivia is with Pittsburgh-related topics. And then, and then we wrap up from there. So, Jim, you want to fire off the first question?
0: Absolutely. Okay, so uh, just one thing, Brett. When we do give you the question, you got five seconds to give an answer. A uh, question is worth five points if you get the question wrong. You lose 10 points. So yeah. um, there it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So with that said, uh, first, are you ready? That sounds real fair. All right. That's <laughs> fair. Well, we think it is. So know, it, yeah. all right. So first question is what condiment? I'm throwing you a softball here. What condiment is Pittsburgh famous for? Uh, Heinz ketchup. There you go. All ding, right. ding, ding.
1: Five points. Hopefully this one is also a soft one. In the 70s and 80s what long running PBS kids show was filmed in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania? Long running PBS children's show.
2: Magic School Bus.
1: <laughs> I don't it might have been, I don't know. It Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was the question we were going for. It, it's hard for me to say no because I'm not sure if Magic School Bus was filmed in Pittsburgh. I don't think it was, but we're, we're going to give you credit for for guessing something that might have been. I'm not sure, but I'm going to say no because I was going for Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Back to you, Jim. I
2: don't even know what Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is, guy. Is that bad? Whoa!
1: You, you yes, don't know? Yeah, bad. Come that that is really bad. That is. That is. He was. He was on PBS for I think just under forty years. Just under forty years. Uh, But anyhow, yeah, it was a kid show on PBS. It actually taught a lot about, uh, like, being friends with each other. He did a a racism thing in the 60s back when there was still, you know, a lot going on with there. He did a lot of, like, social issues. He taught kids how to handle emotions. And it was a really cool show, but it was a little slow. From today's standards, it was slow. It was just an old guy sitting, talking to the screen. But anyhow, next question from Jim.
0: Well, Jim, before before we go to um, question four, I just I just want to say that had you just left your answer at the magic bus and not um, given us the admission of no knowledge, we would have just left it at you know zero points. But because you said you've never even heard of that, oh no, you, know, you lost ten points on that one.
1: Oh no, I'll tell you, Jim, you're <laughs> oh, no. mean. Okay, Jim, fire up your next one. Right, okay, you here.
0: There we go. All right, so if you get this one right. We'll give you the 10 points back and actually double what you could get so you could go plus 20. There it is. Up. All right. Okay. The question is, what was invented in Pittsburgh, the Klondike bar or cotton candy?
2: Five seconds. I'm going to have to say cotton candy. Oh,
0: <sighs> Luke, you want to tell them?
1: Ding, ding, wrong, wrong, boss, boss. It was the crown bar. Sorry. Sorry. Are you guys
2: did, like, I feel like this is common knowledge that I probably should know.
1: That one, I don't know. That one's so tough. Let me ask, yeah. let me that, ask the guys uh, oh, so
2: you guys are asking me questions that you guys are looking up? No, yeah, yeah, well,
1: we asked them the same. We asked the same question so we know the answers because we've asked them to, what five, six other people. So oh, that okay. way that way our listening audience can hear the same questions come up and see how people respond to the same questions. Let me ask you, just before I ask you this question, because I'll change it. Do you follow college football?
2: Uh, you know, I, I used to. Okay. I'll be honest with you guys. I haven't had TV. I haven't had cable okay. for four years. I gave cable completely up. I can't even tell you the last time
1: I watched the news. Well, hey, that's probably good for you overall. You know, not watching the news is not a problem. Okay, so I'll give you... We're going to end on this one, Jim, and hope he gets it for some redemption. What does the phrase, that's it, Fort Pitt, that's it, Fort Pitt, what does that phrase mean? And please take a guess. Steve. you can get it. That's, that's it, Fort it, Fort
2: Pitt. 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 Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm going to have to say that either deals with the Pittsburgh Steelers not making it to the playoffs, or Pittsburgh Penguins winning the Stanley Cup.
1: We'll give you partial credit. They technically, the, the, the Steelers not making playoffs is close, Jim. Oh, yeah, mean, yeah. I, I can that's close. It, yeah. That's close. So that's it for a bit. is an expression to say we're all done here. Let's get out of here. We're wrapped up. Maybe at the end of a party or at the end of a end of an event, you'll say that's it for a bit. We're out of here. Close enough. We'll give you that. Uh, Jim, I guess I guess we can say thanks for being on the show, Jim. You want to wrap us out of here as we thank Brett? Hey, I want to
2: ask you guys something here real quick before sure. you guys uh, sure. wrap up. Hey, I know it's been a while since I asked this, and it's been a while since I heard responses, but I just want to ask you guys what the time is showtime? Oh.
1: You had it there, guy. What did he say? It's showtime. Oh right. baby, what time is it? Oh man, I, that hey, went right hey, over hey, me. That I'm, looking forward to- I'm so sorry. Jim, thanks hey, for bailing me out.
2: I'm Tell looking you what, forward to putting the show on on the six, guys. I'm looking forward to seeing uh,
1: you. Uh, we are happy to see you. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you put on the show, Showtime. That'll be great.
2: All right. Hey, thank you guys so much, Showtime MMA brand. Thank you. All
1: uh, right. Thanks. You got it. Take it easy. Hey, Jim, you know, we just had Brett Showtime on uh, the show, and I'm really impressed by his honesty and straightforwardness you know saying basically if i can paraphrase saying i'm doing this to fun i'm doing this to kind of test my level you know he was telling us that he basically wants to fight an opponent that could be a good test if he fails the test then he's probably more or less going to focus on the law school that's coming up if he shows himself well if he wins or feels good in it the timing's right uh that he'll continue to uh, press on something he brought up that I think is important for our fans to know is that the time he kept bringing it up the time it takes to get better as an amateur as a pro in MMA because it's so diverse because the coaches you typically have to pay sometimes you can get a gym that'll let you coach and then not have to pay but a lot of times you're paying a head coach a potential striking coach, a wrestling coach, a grappling coach, maybe a strength and conditioning coach. He was talking about the time and the investment. So I think it is important to to recognize that for some fighters at the pro amateur level, it's not going to be worth the time and money investment. And he, he was talking some great stuff about the value of getting his degree and doing it legally, doing some behind the scenes MMA business stuff in the future, but not necessarily fighting. I just think it's refreshing. You know, we were talking the other day, Jim, about Chael Sonnen, how he can turn on and turn off um, his uh, smack talk. But one thing that you've never heard Chael ever say is, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of doing this to make money or doing this to see how the fight goes. It's always, I'm the best. I've never been better. Well, no, Chael, you have been better. There have been times you're better. So I think it was refreshing to hear Brett say, he's he's doing this. He started January 10th. He's doing it. He's not necessarily doing it six days a week. He's not necessarily doing it at a level where uh, he's fully committed. He's doing it because he misses it and he wants to uh, get the rush again. And he also wants to see where it is. Um, And I think that's fair. I think that's a fair attitude to have in regional MMA. Uh, We've talked about it on the show that regional MMA is the proving grounds. It's the opportunity uh, to learn things, Ethan, was telling us, Ethan Goss, in another interview, that he's trying to work on being well-rounded while he's still in the regional circuit to figure that out. So I I think it even makes me kind of be a fan of Showtime, Brett, even more because he wasn't talking the trash that I know you don't like, right? Which would be the, I'll beat anybody, I don't care who it is. Like, I'll beat their grandmother, I'll beat them, I'll beat... No, he was basically saying, like, hey, there's younger, stronger, faster fighters out there. I want to see whether or not I can hang in with somebody that would be a good representation for where I want to be. And and that was kind of a cool thing. And so I think that's better than somebody who deludes themselves. He said he thinks he can fight top five talent, but not now because he's not training to fight top five talent. He's training to see kind of where he is. He wants a guy. He's still unmatched. He wants a guy that is um, going to be a good test for him. He said somebody that fights well, that's maybe around 500, that has some experience, that would be a good judge of where his skills uh, match up. And then he might be willing to commit to uh, to something. I think that's something that a lot of fans, we are called MMA FanCast, Jim, and you and I are fans. Fans, particularly in fighting world, we tend to become very personally negative to fighters. Like we call them bums. Some people do, right? Oh, they're sloppy. Oh, they're... but the reality is that to just get in a cage at all at amateur and pro, they've done way more work than 99% of the fans ever do in their life in that building. You know? So, um, I don't think that Brett's taking this lightly. I don't think that's how we should take it. I think Brett's basically saying I'm training. I'm doing some two-a-days. I'm, I'm, I'm working out. I'm getting back in. I feel it coming back. I was away from it for three and a half years. I missed it. But this is going to be a, a litmus test for where I am. It's going to be – I'm not going to be at my best ever. And, and one of the things that I've done, Jim, and I've interviewed fighters, even not on this podcast, and most fighters say, this is the best I've ever felt. It's the best training camp I ever had and all this stuff. As opposed to saying – like what Brett is, which is just a little bit more honest, where it's not necessarily the best he's ever been. It, he just wants to see where he stacks up. It's kind of a cool, cool interview.
0: It was. It definitely was. I I am always intrigued to uh, to get a glimpse of um, an athlete's psyche and what goes on in their mind when they have something like like him. He's had this is now his second big layoff. He had 14 months that he talked about. I wanted to ask him, like, what was that like, you know, after that big layoff, getting back into the ring the first time, and how can you take that and use it to your advantage at this time? Was there a negative and a positive to it? And what are you going to do when it's now three years? But, yeah, it, it's, I'm always intrigued by that in all the sports that I follow. MMA, of course, is, you know, something that, uh, that I find – extremely interesting in just the simple fact that it's like you're you, using your words they're proving grounds and you know guys want to want to size themselves up against other men and they don't always you know go ahead and put that in action but in MMA that's where you actually can so like you said he was candid I liked what he had to say Yeah, I
1: think the the being honest with yourself is important. You know, I'll leave out some details, but I used to run an MMA gym years ago and I had a fighter come in, was not a member of my gym. Nobody would know that he trained with us. So I think it's safe to to give this example. But he came in, he was maybe a month away from a pro fight and uh, he didn't look good. And and I didn't know him from anybody, you know. And I, I worked him through some Muay Thai striking that I thought was, relatively basic and it was, a lot of my amateur fighters were way beyond that and he looked really bad and uh anyhow so I mentioned it to him because I didn't really know who he was or what was going on he just kind of dropped in and anyhow he's like oh yeah i've got a pro debut coming up and i was like um what's the game plan and and here's the thing i think that Brett is is honest Brett's honest with himself he's had a lot of experience he knows he's tough he talked about fighting through injuries. He talked about taking punches to give punches. So he has a a high confidence in himself, but he also knows that MMA is a tough sport. So anyhow, this guy basically said, well, you know, I'm going to go in there and wrestle. That's what I did in amateur. And I, I, because I wasn't his coach, I I just said, well, you know, in, in amateur MMA, wrestlers are very protected, you know? And I mentioned right to him, they're protected from knees on a shot. He said, like, no, dude, it'll be fine. He obviously, to make this story perfect, he got knocked out in the first round by a knee, going mm. in for a shot. It wasn't even close. I don't even know if he landed one strike. He literally came out and started shooting from 10 feet away. Um, and it was really bad. And and I think to me, one of the challenges with somebody um, is being honest with themselves.
0: Yes, 100% yeah. agree with you.
1: And I brought that up to Brett. Brett's self-aware. He's a self-aware guy. He knows that he has bigger stuff in store with the law stuff, um, but he misses it. And you know what? He's not thirty yet. He still has some time. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing to see him do it. But but I've often thought about that guy just to be like, not only was he deluded, but what type of coaching staff was around him? I'm a guy that held pads for him for twenty minutes and realized that there's no way he has the ability to handle striking, particularly at. The pro level, and for some reason, somebody let him fight. I think the reality is that as a fighter, they take a lot of that risk on themselves, right? Because you're not on a team sport. If I'm a basketball player and I'm a little injured, I can go out there and play 10 minutes and come over to the coach and be like, hey, coach, let me sit down, right? But yet, the reality is, as an athlete, we just found out recently that Derek Lewis fought his last fight versus JDS with a very damaged knee. Yes. He knew it. His coach knew it. Now, they didn't know that it was the ACL and I think the MCL. That's, that's a terrible idea. But I think one of the problems in fighting at the high level or low level is there's so much pressure. Even Brett brought it up that the last two fights he had, he won one and lost one. He took on a couple weeks of training. Didn't really train well for him because there was pressure for him to fight. And I think that's the thing. Not only money pressure, but like, don't let somebody down. And it is tough. It is tough to recognize that nobody goes into that cage with the fighter. And so I think it's good that Brett is honest with himself and kind of knows where his mindset is. I think the guy I'm thinking of not only was dishonest to himself, but he must not have had a coach that was like, you're not ready, you know? And I think that's the challenge. And obviously, Brett's putting himself through the bases. I also like the fact that Brett talked about coaching other people. I think part of the coaching process is that fighters learn to be a little bit more, how do I say this, critical of talent in a healthier way because I've seen a lot of fighters in training that because they're doing it, they think they're doing it right, right? Because because they're because they're doing it themselves. they, they It feels good, they punch the, the bag or they punch the mitt and it feels good to them, but then when they become coaches, they realize, oh, I do that same thing, but I can see it to correct it in somebody else so I would hope that Brett in his times of coaching others have learned to be a little bit more reflective on his own skill set and a little bit more critical in a in a healthy way as opposed to just being like well I'll be fine you no know, type thing so it'll be interesting to see him I'm glad he was honest I think he has a great perspective
0: agreed yeah it was uh, it was definitely one of the more eye-opening interviews that we've done uh and and definitely for me with uh, other interviews i've i've done people i've talked to through the uh, other podcasts but yeah he uh for sure was uh was uh, a good talker and the honesty for, for refreshing to hear i like that about him
1: all right good stuff indeed good stuff jim
0: anything else you want to add luke
1: I think we're good.
0: Okay, so just uh, as a little refresher, a little reminder, Brett Showtime Schoenfeldt was our guest um, on this episode. He will be fighting April 6th in Cannesburg, PA. That is South Point at Prince Arena. As of this airing, his two opponents that he was scheduled for both dropped out for various reasons, and he does not have an opponent. But but I, I know that uh, that Ryan Middleton and the crew – at 247, we'll put that together for him. Um, 247fighting.com is where you can get your tickets. You got to get them now because they're selling out fast. A lot of fighters with heavy following, big following, and those tickets there, most of the fighters have already sold all of their tickets. So there's not going to be much left for, uh, for the general public. So... My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. We are MMA FanCast. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Good night. God bless.
1: You did a great job with that.